Are you at your point where you think you've hit your bottom or maybe that there's just no way you're ever going to feel like things can change? I was like that. I really was. And I want you to know, my name is Bromo, by the way. I want you to know that there is a way out. Please join us for my podcasts. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger. Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. All right, there is a way out. February 1st. You can believe it or not. My name is Bromo. I am an alcoholic. My sobriety date's 2-1709. I'm pretty proud of this podcast, not because of myself, but because I hope that someone will be able to get some information out of this. Someone will be able to listen. Anyone who feels they may have a problem with addiction, maybe a family member or, them, or, or a friend of their own, or anyone who feels that uh, there's just no way that you can get on the right path. I am telling you out of experience, and by the way, I'm not a professional at this. I don't have any uh, credentials except for life experience, but I, I believe in passing the word around, and I finally finished my story. Yesterday, I had Nicole on, which was awesome. Today, I have another guest who's a brilliant guy by the name of Eric Benson. How are you, buddy? Great this morning. How are you, Ramon? I'm well. I found out, let me give you a quick uh, little past history. In our building, we have about five radio stations. And one morning, right before I was about ready to go on Christmas break, one of our morning shows, Tigger and Beck, on the countryside, gave me some information. And I think I met you in the hallway, didn't I? Yep, you had some donuts that morning, and you offered me a donut. (laughs) That's right. And then you split. And I, I didn't get a chance to talk to you further, but... As I was walking away from Tigger and Beck, they handed me a, a sheet with your name and your number on it, and they said, hey, you should talk to this guy. He's right up your alley with recovery. And I called you literally either that day or a day later, and I got get, got together with you on the phone, and I was able to write an article about you. And by the way, for anybody out there, if you want to read this article, very easy to find Go to our webpage, 96.5 The Wall. I look for the goofiest DJ on there, which will be me, Bromo, and you can scan through some of the stories I've written in the past. And there's one with Eric and his daughter on the cover. One of my favorite articles to write. Do you know that? I appreciate that. It was fun to do. You know, it was my first time speaking up about recovery and, you know, being open, uh, you know, with the public about where I'm at in life. Well, you were great, and that's one of the reasons why the article was so easy to, to write uh, because of your honesty. And, and uh, here's the thing. Are you from North Dakota? Yep. I'm born and raised in Bismarck, North Dakota. Yep. Do you want to give everybody uh, your age if you want? Yep. I'm 43 years old. Uh, grew up here and went to BHS uh, while I was in high school and stuff, uh, active in sports uh, up until my, my junior year. And then that's when the addiction started taking a role in my life. Let's talk about this first. Um, you and I have different time frames, <laughs> way, way different time frames. And I was laughing with Nicole about this yesterday. When I was in high school, um, I rarely saw drugs because I didn't hang around 
you know, that kind of crowd. Maybe I would smell pot somewhere, but it, for me it was alcohol and, and pot, and I didn't start drinking later until my, my age progressed. But for you, did you see drugs around you? Yeah, that started around, like, junior high. Um, I initially started out with just dabbling in the drinking and stuff, but that affected, you know, my sports performance way too much. Uh, then uh, started, you know, not finding a place where I fit in, you know, with the other kids. Oh, absolutely. uh, You know, I come to find out later in life when I was in a recovery center that one of the the, the people said to me, he go, "When, when was the first time that you wanted to take a feeling away? Anger, sadness, you know, whatever it might have been. And I had to think all the way back to when I was in junior high, and I didn't know where I fit in. You know, did I fit in with the jocks, or did I fit in with the loadies? You know, no no offense to anybody. That was, <laughs> you know, two divisions, yeah. you know? Yeah, And here I am in between, and just trying to make a go of life. But, you know, that's when I, I first found pot, and then shifted over to meth. And when I tried it the first time, unfortunately, I knew that that was my drug of choice. It took away all the feelings and emotions that I didn't want to have. All right. First of all, I apologize to our audience if I appear pretty naive to certain drugs because my um, history with drugs is very limited. I tried pot. Of course, everybody's tried pot. Uh, Somebody threw a little bit of crystal in my beer, so I had one night of experience of what crystal was like. Um, Somebody gave me half of a uh, ecstasy pill, and he said, you should take this by yourself. When my dad went out of town, I took that. But I've never taken, like, acid or, or anything. Tell people what meth is like and what it does. Oh, for, for me, uh, initially, when you first start your usage with it, you know, there's the energy, there's the high, the, the speed effect, you know. But after prolonged usage, that no longer affects your body. And it, what it did for me is it took away all emotions and feelings. You know, so if there was anything I was supposed to process, let's say I even hit myself one time with a, ha- a hammer in the thumb, you should have a pain receptor that tells you you're in pain. Yeah. But, you know, with that constant flow of that into my body, there was no longer feeling. And wow. that was, you know, that was my ticket where I didn't want to feel, you know, and I wanted to be able to go 24-7 because I thought I was achieving so much more, you know. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and I say humorously because, you know, at the end of the day, there was nothing getting achieved. No, but I was going to say, does so meth meth kind of leaves you numb, and it makes you. Uh, does it change your mental state too? Gives you confidence. Yes, yes. Lots of lots of paranoia that came with it. You know. Um, oh, yeah. A, a lot of um, looking at everybody else like they're looking at you funny. Um, there was lots of you know emotional swings too. You would go from one moment being calm and happy to right to the other end of the pendulum of you know being screaming and angry. It, it, was, it was such a roller coaster on a daily basis, and then you tried to tuck all it in inside so nobody would know. You know, okay. you had to keep that hidden. <clears throat> so this is you doing meth in high school? Yep, started in uh, ninth grade. I shifted from the junior high up to the high school, and then that became a, a daily usage thing for me, along with the pot, because then I would use that to slow myself down to look normal. You know? <laughs> wow, yeah. Yeah, I've heard about that. I've heard about that effect, right. So now you get out of high school... Tell us what happens to you. You go to college or what? Tell us what, no, to, how you um, progress. Well, uh, high school, I ended up while I was in high school uh, going down to a facility here for juveniles that they had at the time in North Dakota called the Prairie Learning Center. Um, I was a, a disorderly child. And this is not to, to speak ill of the home that I came from. You know, I came from 
a, a home with both parents that cared. There was just nothing that they could do to help me. You know, every time they tried to help me with treatments to with facilities and stuff, I wasn't at that point yet in my recovery. Okay. You know? um, so here I am. I'm a hard-nosed kid. I'm going to keep breaking the rules and stuff. Uh, get out of high school. Um, attempted uh, holding down a job for a short amount of time. But no matter what, at the end of the day, the addiction always took priority over anything else going on in life. Was it one of those things where as soon as you, I mean, did you sleep very much? No. Average was about one to three hours per night. Good Mm. grief. Okay, so when you did get a little bit of sleep, did your body tell your mind, I need this every single day? There ain't no way we're going any days without it? (laughs) Yeah, I made a deal with myself that you need to sleep so that you can pull off looking normal the next day. You know, <laughs> so you knew that you had to shut down for a little bit of time just to be able to function again the next day. How many of your f- friends were aware? Uh, maybe some of them were involved with you in doing it, but I'm sure you had some friends that cared about you that saw the decline in your in yeah, your demeanor and your I body. Did. Yeah. Yep. I had a, a lot of really close friends from junior high that I played sports with, you know, and I'd see that divide from us happening, you yep. know. They no longer wanted to associate with me outside of sports or outside of school. You know, my friend dynamic had changed. Now my friend circle involved only people that were also using drugs, not the ones that, you know, were making the right choices and looking forward to the future, you know. Yeah. That was a, that was a, a big thing, you know, because then once you make that shift, your world becomes your drug. So there's no longer that, you know, those nice activities of going fishing or playing shinny hockey or, you know, just doing normal activities, as you'd call it, because no matter what, everything over the course of the day pertained to whether or not, you know, I was going to be able to stay high or if there was any more around. Yeah, isn't that something? Isn't that something yeah. when, when, when some of your past loves of sports, achieving well in sports, gets kicked to the curb, and now all you yep. want to do is get your meth, get your, uh, you know, your 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 fix, so to speak. I, I even call alcohol as a fix. You need it. You got to get it. That's your number one priority. Yep. And I, I didn't realize until later in life, you know, that I needed, I wanted, that was just, you know, my body crying out to me saying, you got to maintain this level of usage or guess what? There's, it's not going to be a happy body, you yeah, know, which it had, tricked my, it had tricked my mind into that, you know? So take us, that's a, take us, a, take us further or further in, will you? Okay. When, yeah, so, slowly uh, take us to when you reached rock bottom and, and give us some thoughts okay. on that, will you? So for, well, from I, my addiction, I'd say, began in the 12 to 13-year age range. And over the course of then till about age 40, uh, there were multiple uh, encounters with the law. You know, my addiction uh, had led to me having, you know, multiple charges for drug possessions, drug paraphernalia. You know, in and out of jail, probably a total of, I think, four times. Um, You know, I'd get put on probation, and during that probation time, you know, I'd be skating by just enough to make sure that I could get through the probation and then get back off. But the addiction, the day day I come off of probation, you know, the addiction was right there knocking back at the door again. And you know what? It was like clockwork. If I made it six months, that was making it a long time before I was back on probation or back in trouble with the courts. Wow. You know, during this time, you know, also through through life, you know, uh, the relationships with all of my family, that dynamic, you know, 
it, it definitely took a change because they'd been trying for so long to try to get me help and me refusing help or just not me not being ready for help. Uh, I don't know how to look at it yet, even in my recovery. You know, they they finally had to reach a point where they said, no more, you know, no more. You know, you need to go your own way for our own health and safety. Yeah, I want to, you stop, know, I want to stop you right there. Explain no yeah. more. Was it tough love and they said, we don't want anything to do yep. with you? Yep, tough love. It was, it was the point where they said, no more, you don't come around, you know. You need to find your own way, and until you get healthy or you sober up, don't come back knocking. And, you know, uh, while in my addiction, you know, I would show up here at their house, uh, you know, beating on the door, saying, da 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 you know, and screaming to the high heavens, you know, yeah, police right. were called, told, yeah, yeah. get him out of here, you know, he's high on drugs. And, you know, every time while in that addiction, I just had anger then towards them that they didn't care. The thing was, at that point, I had already pushed them so far, so many years of addiction, that for their own mental health and their own, you know, their own, um, I don't know how to say it, um, sanity, they could no longer deal or try to help me when there was no results, you know, coming from the help. But, yeah, that led all the way up uh, till around... And let me say say something on this real quick, Eric. How How much pain were you going through in that point? Because you love your family. But you love yeah. you love your fix even more. You love your family. Yep. You love your fix. How much pain were you going through when you were being denied by them? And you probably deep down knew the reason why. Oh yeah, yep, definitely, definitely knew the reason deep down. You know, uh, but I was so caught in my addiction that you know I would turn the blame back onto them and say it was their fault for yeah. not loving the other child. It well, was their fault that, for doing this to me. You know, yeah, that's the pointing of fingers. That's normal. Yep, and that, that's normal stuff. But you know what? That hurt that would kick in as the the high would wear off or the pain that yeah. would come rushing back in. You know sure. what I did? I turned right around and used more yeah. because I didn't want to deal with it. You know, I wanted to turn that switch off in my head. And that was the only thing I knew to do to turn that switch off. You know, at that point, there was no looking at ourselves and saying, maybe I better change what I'm doing. You know, we weren't to that point yet. (laughs) So uh, you had been to jail several times. What age are you at this point? Uh, Let's we'd be around. Okay, let's call it around the age of around 39 ish. We get to. Okay. And uh, well, I'll be about 38. Uh, My daughter was born then. Yeah, we're um, going to talk on that I, yep. a lot. I, I, first of all, I want to tell you something that you might find funny and you might relate to. This tells this tells you how much of an alcoholic I am. When I was at the Freedom Ranch, which is not a jail or anything like that, it's a uh, sanitarium is what they call it. This is part of my story earlier. It's way out in the sticks, right? Some of the guys yep. that were brought into the Freedom Ranch came from jail, and it was an option for them to have recovery thrown their way, but still... Yeah, you, they better stay there because they're, they've got probation officers and such. So one of the guys from jail one time, he and I are sitting outside, and it's like 100 degrees, and there's nothing to do. And I'm asking him, because I've never been to jail. Let's knock on wood here. I've never been arrested. But I said to him, dude, what was jail like? And he said at one point, you know what? Well, you know, I was able to drink in jail. And he told me this concoction that they made, passed around. And <laughs> do you know how much of an alcoholic I am, Eric? I thought to myself... That doesn't sound too bad, getting hammered in your own cell. Good <laughs> <Right>? Lord. <laughs> right? And that's like, you know, even one of the times where I went to jail, not to speak ill of our jails or anything, but, you know, 
you could tell which guys were, you know, when they give out the meds, which ones were keeping them in their in their mouth to keep them for later for for illicit use, you know. Oh, and I'm thinking to myself while well, I'm in there, and I, you know, I'm, I'm ten days sober or whatever. I'm thinking to myself, there is no way I would want to be under the influence of anything in this facility. I would wow. drive myself insane, you at, know. At, <laughs> at one point, uh, you said you had a daughter. What, what age yep. did you marry at? I didn't get married. Um, okay. Me and her mother had been together on and off for about 10 years. So she also, you know, paid the consequences of my addiction. Oh, you of course. Know? Sure yep, she yep. Did. She was, she was the, she was the, um, the enabler, the caretaker, you know, um, I would, she knew what was going on, but I would lie to her right to her face, you know, oh, uh, yeah. every night I would leave the house at like 10 o'clock, not come home till four in the morning, you know, and she finally reached her breaking point. Um, during the pregnancy, I was able to stay sober from the mess, but I was still using the pot, okay. you know? Yep. Uh, Lila was born, uh, uh, June 15th of 2015. And six months later, right after Christmas, we were out seeing the in-laws in Montana for Christmas, came back and she said, I'm leaving. And I was like, what? <laughs> and, uh, that's when, you know, the, the first real wake up call for me came. Yeah, that was like okay. My addiction has now caused this person that stood by me for so long, you know, to to leave, you know. Uh, and at that point, you know, I decided that I'm gonna sober up, you know. But I wasn't asking anybody for help. I was gonna do this on my own, you know, because I'm so I'm so strong-willed, you know, at this point. Yeah, uh, and I say that with laughter because yeah. It was a hot mess trying to do that. Did you really want to so, give it up yet, or did, were you just telling people that? <laughs> I wanted to get sober, but I didn't know how to do it. Yeah. You know, because I, I, for, I would say about three years leading up to this point, you know, I had dabbled with spells of being clean. Yeah. You know, but being clean and being sober are two different things. Oh, absolutely. You know, there was no regaining of any kind of happiness during those times. It was just that there was an absence of of the drugs from my life. Right. Yep. But, yep. So then uh, Lila comes along, and that is, Kind of one of them points in my life where uh, the addiction crept back in. So me and her mother at this point, we share a joint custody thing where Lila is with me four days a week, and then she's with her mom three days a week. So the four days of the week where Lila was with me, I didn't use any meth. You know, that was the deal I made with myself as an addict. But then when she was gone, it was, you know, it was wheels off of this bus until, you yeah, know, right. we crash and wreck before she comes back again. Sure. You know? Yep. But, you know, as, as addiction works, it kept getting worse and worse. Uh you know, over the over the years, uh, well, Lila was about five years old. You know, that's when I started realizing, you know, here I lost my job because I wasn't going to work on time. Uh, I had a, a wonderful employer. He, he knew that I was struggling. He, he, he knew what was going on with me. And he tried multiple different times, you know, to just be there to be supportive of me, uh, you know, giving me flexible hours to work with my child and getting her and stuff. All kinds of, he made all kinds of concessions for me hoping that that would, you know, get me on the right path because he'd seen glimpses of it in the past. You know, he'd seen glimpses of me being sober and being a good foreman and being a good employee, and then it would all just fall apart again, you know, because that's, that's what the addiction would do. It always won the battle, you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, so we get to the point where um, it would have been the summer of 2021, uh, three, well, just uh, about two and a half years ago now. And that was the point where on uh, July 4th, that was something that was one of my holidays with my daughter. We were getting ready that morning to go and 
get fireworks and everything, and the police roll up on me. I have a warrant for my arrest. Oh God! My daughter's with my daughter's with me at this point. You know, oh. so this is my worst nightmare in addiction that I never ever wanted her to ever see me in addiction or see me high. And how old was she? So, at this point, she would have been five. Oh yep. boy. Yep. So the, here they are. You know, I hand my daughter off to a friend of mine that's there at the place where oh, we're at. Oh boy. And the officers are getting ready to put me in the squad car. So yeah. I, you know what? God bless those officers here in Bismarck. I turned to the one and I said, hey, will you allow me out of this squad car to give my daughter a hug and tell her it's going to be all right? He goes, are you sure you want to do that? Because they ended up finding drugs on my person along with the warrants that they had. Wow. And they were, they were kind enough to let me out of that squad car. She yeah. came over and I said, hey, daddy broke the rules. I had to be honest with her. At this point at five years old, she knows something's going on, but I don't want her to have fear that the police are taking her daddy away. That's, so that is not the, that, that at that point I did not want her to have that 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 stigma, you know. So you get in that car, and the police are driving you away to jail. You see yeah. your daughter in the back of the back of the car nope. as the car is driving away, and, and and how low do you feel at this point? Yeah, as I as I as I see a friend of mine holding her, and I'm in the back of the squad car, and we're driving away from that house. I am. Uh, at that point, the low, it was the the tidal wave come crashing down in the back of the car. And the only thing I can do while we're riding to the jail is I can tell, I'm, I'm sitting there talking to him. I says, thank you, gentlemen, for letting me say goodbye to her and let her know things are okay. Well, we weren't, they, they started talking to me about, you know, they weren't sure if that was the right thing to do or whatnot. And I said, you know what, guys, she needs to know that dad made a mistake. Yeah, I was, wait, okay. wait, hang, hang on real quick. Why, why would they... Um, why would they? Why would they think if that was the right thing to do by you hugging your daughter? That's, I, I don't that, know. If they, I'm they were wondering whether or not you know me getting out and saying goodbye to her was the right thing. I'm oh. not sure what where they were well, at. Well, maybe, know, maybe because, yeah, know, maybe they felt also, yeah, maybe they felt how she would feel, and maybe that yep. would be harder on her. I don't. That's kind of an odd. Yep. That's odd, isn't it? Do you think? Yeah, I, I kind of felt but from both of them that it was their concern. You know. For her, you safety, know, and safety. that was where yep. even, you safety. know, it was like, you know what, these guys are looking out for, here's this guy that's messed up, he's got drugs on him, and he wants us to let him say goodbye to his daughter. I don't know if I'd have let me, you know? Yeah, I get uh, it. I think I get it. Okay, so, <laughs> yep. so, you, so now so you're in jail. Away and I'm, yep. I'm just uh, on my way to the jail, and it's just like, holy cow, this is this is really a mess, you yep. know? Yeah. So, this is the one of them times where, you know, I get into the jail, I get bonded out right away, and right back to it at this point i call and check to make sure her mother went and picked her up she's with her mom okay the addiction kicks back in oh boy. we're we're going even now even harder because now we have all this shame and this hurt from what just happened you know at this point then I, i'm on probation so I, I receive a call from my probation officer saying i need to come in and see her and at that point you know my addict brain says oh dang she's gonna put me back in jail so we go on the run you know oh you went uh, on the run yep Yep, I'm not going to check in with her. You know, I'm not going to go see her. You know, I call her up and I says, no, I'm not coming to see you. You know, that tells you, you know, the cocky attitude I had in my addiction that I had no respect for any kind of authority or for any other people. Now, you did, know? did she tell you that's right a, away, hey, that's a that's a wrong move because we'll be looking for oh, yeah. you? Yep, and she was, you know, she was uh, amazing, you know, because she was, hey, just come in. I'm serious. We'll figure something out. Oh. We'll work something out. You know, I just want to talk to you about the situation. Sure. You know? It goes on for a few months, 
And then once again, here I am on a, on a motorcycle south of Bismarck, and I have a sheriff pull up behind me. And I look back, and I see the lights come on, and I knew it was either flight or fight, and I take off on this motorcycle, going <laughs> close to 100, 140, somewhere in there, I think they figured. Oh, boy. You know, and while I'm riding away from him, I hear, the, I hear this voice in my head say to me, just stop. You know, and I'll, I'll take this to my grave. It's one of the spookiest things that's ever happened. It was a voice that came over me that said, just stop. Was it calm? So was it a calm voice? Yeah, calm voice. Here I'm doing a buck 40 on a crotch rocket, and, and it says, just stop. So I pull over and I stop. I get off the bike, and next thing I remember is I'm in the jail, and I got a bracelet from the hospital, and I have a bracelet on my arm from the, the jail. Sure. And a lady comes up and says to me, she goes, you've been asleep for about two days. Wow. Okay. And so at that point, you know, I was blessed that at the jail here in Burley County, there's a man by the name of Mark Kemet. He works with the, the jail and facilitating things there. I've yeah. known him through probation through over the years. And I ended up bumping into him, and he's just like, Eric, oh, gosh, you know. I said, Mark, I'm staying here till I go to a treatment, you know. Uh, the opportunity came up to bond out. One of my friends came and said, I'll bond you out. I said, no, man, I'm staying here, you know. I'm staying here. Well, 45 days later, they finally get me a bed up at the uh, Silver Creek Recovery in Watford City. And, uh, of course, you know, all right, cool, I'm going. So they let me out of jail, and I have 24 hours to survive sober because now we have 45 days of being sober in the jail. Yep. And I find out on the day I'm getting released that my daughter's got COVID. Here I've been talking to her through the kiosk, you know, or the visiting thing, telling her when Daddy gets out, I'm going to come give you a big hug, and then Daddy's going to treatment, you know, because we explained it to her as doctor, doctor, to get better. Yeah. So she understood what was going on. We were open with her about it. You know, she'd come and visit me a couple times in jail. I wasn't going to hide it from her. So that, you know, was enough for that addict brain of me. I had 24 hours to make it. All I needed to do was make it from 5 p.m. one night till 7 the next morning when we made the drive up there. You think I can make it that 24 hours? No. No. Ended up going out and using again, you know? Yeah. So here we are. We get to Watford City. The first thing, you know, when I get checked in up there, they say, are you dirty for anything? I said, yes, I am. Okay. They said, which, which phone call would you like to make first, back to your probation officer or back to your family that brought you here? I said, well, we'll do the probation officer first. You know, so I called her, let her know what was going on. I was there, and I finally made it. She says, okay, you do what you need to do up there. You know, so there, once again, the patients of, you know, the probation system, you know, that they understood that I needed to get help. But it wasn't until the first day there when I sat down and met with the director, and he made that comment to me. He goes, Eric, when was the first time you felt feelings you never wanted to feel? And I was like, whoa, whoa, Wait, it's the first that, day here, buddy. Say that again. When was the what? Say that again. Okay, he goes, when was the first time in your life that you felt feelings that you didn't want to feel? You know, anger, uh, frustration, sadness, hurt. He goes, think back in your life when you had that first time that you didn't want to feel a feeling you had to. That's interesting. That's like, fascinating. Yeah. Talk about powerful right on your first day of treatment, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> was this yep. guy, you could tell right away this guy was really cared, didn't he? Yeah, yep. And I sat there with him. I said, well, I'd have been probably 12 or 13. He goes, all right. He goes, that's when your addiction started and you hadn't even used drugs yet. I said, why is that? And he goes, because you wanted to turn those feelings off and you found a way to do it. Wow. (laughs) So I'm sitting there. I'm just like, okay, me and you are going to have a few conversations, my friend, while I'm here. Sure. You know, because we're going to dive deeper into this, you know. And from that point forward, you know, 
uh, up there at the recovery center. I had a wonderful lady by the name of Dee Dee and another lady at the name of Tootie, who was my treatment care person. And they saw that I didn't know how to be sober. You know, I did not know how to uh, turn that page to start understanding what real life is. It had been 30 years of addiction. And remember, you know? remember, this was something you told me minute, minutes minutes ago. You said that that was from the beginning. You didn't know how to stay, to stay sober. Nope. Isn't that interesting? It stayed with you yep. all that time. Yep. Did not know how to do it. And then, you know, that's when you know, they started taking us out to NA meetings, you know, and I'm starting to listen to some of these folks that are in the meetings and, I'm always hearing this, this, the same thing over and over. I needed to change. I needed to change. You know, it was me that was making, I'm just like, man, maybe there, there's some truth to this stuff that I'm the problem, not everybody else. Yeah. It started to open up that light, you know, okay, so now we know that I'm the problem, but what do I do to make sure that I don't fall back into my old ways? Because there are things every day that sometimes people get upset with, you know? Uh, it's, it's called that, life. Yeah, it's called life. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, here, here we are the first time, you know, at age 40, uh, realizing this is what real life is like. Okay, <laughs> yeah. you know, it was really overwhelming. So I started asking questions. I started speaking to people about what they, what they found worked for them. And, you know, even today now talking with you, you know, it, it's still a challenge every day for me in my own head on what's the right decision and what's not the right decision. Or even, you know, allowing myself to fall back into my old character traits or my old ways of responding to things that really don't matter, but it's those steps that get me through it. That's the thing. You well, know, now that, now you're armed is. with, uh, and we'll talk about that in a bit, you're armed with the tools to help you out when you do come across some moments that leave you yeah. a little bit paused and, um, you know, but, but go ahead, continue. It is pretty fascinating, yeah. Eric, the way that... Um, isn't it fascinating when you start and your brain starts to listen to other stories from people who you who oh. you can totally relate to? Yep, when you can relate to somebody else, or they're they're sharing in a meeting, and you're sitting there going, "Man, that's that's the same way I feel about that situation," and your ears perk up because you want to hear how they dealt with it. Because for me, you know, it was all these years. Of Addiction clouded me learning any of these, these these people skills, these life skills. Absolutely. You know, there, there was no learning of any life skills because the addiction made that focus be only on me. Yeah. You know, uh, and as for me, like now, that's my biggest challenge, not challenge, but my biggest learning area in my recovery. You know, we, we may be two years clean and sober, but we're still learning on a daily basis with these challenges that it takes work on my part to deal with the situation uh, in a proper way, you know? Yep. Or, you know, and it's not the the, uh, the addiction portion of it of wanting to go out and use. That part of it is not the challenge. The challenge is, let's say, you tell me something I don't like. Am I going to respond to you with anger and frustration? Or am I going to take the time to think about it and say, okay, how is this going to be a positive response? What can I do, you know, to help this situation? Those are the things I would have never thought about, you know, processing it that way. Yeah. Where before I would have just told you to stick it and, and marched off pissy and mourning about, you know, that you're such a horrible person, you know? Yeah. But in, 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 the, in, the, in the factor of being clean and sober, it gives you that time to think about it, you know? And it, when there are challenges that come up that really consume me, 
if I can't pass it to my higher power at the end of the night, I'm going to turn around and share it at my meeting. And just being able to voice it out loud, guess what? At the end of that meeting, it's no longer there. Well, I got to I got to tell you real quick. Uh, one of the things that I had a um, uh, not not a problem. I had difficulty understanding way back when when I started listening finally, and I started realizing, yes, I'm an alcoholic. I had a problem understanding when people would say to me, like somebody somebody would be 20 years sober, who was alumni from the recovery uh, home, would come up to me and, and ask me questions, and he would say to me, quote, I'm learning from you just as much as you're, lear- you're learning from me. And I used to think, that's a bunch of BS. How could <laughs> you, who's been sober for all these years, learn from me? And man, I found out later that it's so true. We, as people who've been around in the program for a while, we need the newcomers for that that look in their eyes to show us that that could be us in a split second if we drink or use again. Yeah, and that is so true, Bo. Uh, that, you know, like, like it says, you know, the, the newcomer is the most important person in a meeting. I didn't understand. I'm just like you. I didn't understand that at first. I was like, how is that? Well, then I started, you know, seeing some of these newcomers come into the meetings and sharing where they're at in their early recovery. Yeah. And then I'm able to relate to it and going, oh, God, I remember being there. You know, I remember that feeling that you're going through. But that's the thing that recovery provides us, putting ourselves into somebody else's shoes and remembering what that feeling is like. You know, yeah. as an addict, did you, did you ever put yourself into somebody else's shoes? Heck no. Yeah. You know, yeah. that, that, that opened up a whole new world. And then being able to, to care and give empathy and give them feedback and say, hey, man, what you're feeling is normal. You, you know, it, it's, it's you're then go through this process and give them the support that maybe that helps them get through just that tough day for them. Because, you know, remembering where you came from and what life was like is a big part of also keeping us sober and learning. Do you, you ever uh, stay in contact with your old probation officer, the gal? Yes, I do, actually. You know, uh, it's funny you ask that. I just I just spoke to her before Christmas, and then I spoke to her before I started the college year this year to let her know that things were still going good in school. And, you know, her response, oh, good, it's good to hear, you know. And then I was talking with someone, and they said to me, how often do you think they have people call them to give them an update on where you're at? You know, well, I would and hope I, like, I would hope a lot because to me that would be my favorite part of the job if I were them. Yep, and I was like, you know, I didn't think about that until somebody else pointed out. I bet you that that that's probably something that most probation officers don't get is a call saying, "Hey, I'm doing well. Thank you for what you did for me." You know? Yeah, they. Uh, yeah, that's so true. But but you, but you know that's part of our program. It's because when we finally have a second, and life goes by so fast, and we realize those key people. That were in our life, man. I tell you, I used to hate thinking to myself, when I get out of this Freedom Ranch, I'm never coming back. And I'm telling you, if I still lived in San Diego, I would be there three or four times a week. That's the place that saved my life. And for you to remember and show the gratitude and appreciation to this probation officer, A, says a lot about you as as you as a whole. And it's just, isn't it an incredible feeling to be on this this, uh, journey? Yeah, and that's like those connections that, you know, at one point, you know, that was a love-hate relationship between me and her. I didn't want to talk to her, and she didn't want to talk to me. Of course. You know, but, you know, that that's where, that's before you reach that point that you say, hey, wait a minute, you know what, they're doing their job because of my behavior. 
my actions got me here. You know, that was a tough one for me to swallow because before that, you know, it was always everybody else's fault or whatever, you know, it wasn't me doing that stuff, you know. And that's like even with some of the people from the recovery center, you know, I still stay in contact with them. That is such a blessing, you know, because some of the things that they said to me in my early recovery while I was there for that 45 days, you know, uh, stuck with me. You yeah. know, there's yeah. the little, little things that they would say or, you know, just telling me, you know, hey, it's out of your power. There's a lot of days where I just have to sit there and say, that's something that's out of my control. You're and never going to forget those days. Let me ask you real quick again. How long have you been sober now? Uh, November 5th, 2021. So we just passed the two-year mark here in November. Uh, congratulations. First of all, there will be a time when someone's going to ask you if you want to go out and be a speaker. Has that happened yet? Actually, they've asked. I, I see. I, I chair uh, or I, I host two NA meetings through the Zoom every week on on Sundays and on Mondays through a place out in Montana, the recover, rural recovery. Right. And they've actually we have a speaker night once a week, and they've asked me one time to do the speaker on that, but I haven't done any out face to face speaker stuff yet. Well, you know? that that place you said that you did your recovery at um, for how many days? Forty five. You said something like that. Yep. Um, yep. You should check in with them and see if uh, they have meetings there. I'm sure they do, right? Yeah. The, the bummer about that one, though, Romo, we, we lost a really good facility here in North Dakota there in Watford City because after I finished mine, I think it was another two months later, the facility actually ended up closing down. Are you kidding? I didn't know that. Yeah. Really? Yeah, yeah. And, it, and you know what? I've been to multiple treatment facilities in, in North Dakota, Yeah. and I would that one would rank in the top three. Wow, I didn't you know, know that. Between That's... them and Heartview, yeah, yeah. Those are places you'll never forget. I'm sure you've never yeah. forgotten it. Uh, yeah, no, and for me now, it's like, wow, that's the place that that finally was able to reach me. Let me uh, let me ask you this: How much of um, sobriety is taken lightly? Obviously, when you first uh, are either forced to, or you first kind of tiptoe in. Because there's nothing left in your life, and you're like, look, I think I've reached my rock bottom. In fact, I know I have. But let me ask you this now that you're over two years sober. And this goes to anybody who's maybe 30 seconds sober, 30 minutes sober. How glorious is the journey when you can see in into the eyes of some of your loved ones the confidence that people are now looking at you? That you've restored uh, good things in people's lives, like your parents. How are they nowadays? Oh, man. Uh, you know, here with with my situation after I came back from the recovery center, I ended up moving back in with them with my daughter. Um, since I came back from the recovery center, she's been with me actually full time seven days a week. Fascinating. Uh, her mother's going. Her mother's going through some things in her life right now. But you know what? That's been the for both of us, for them and for myself. Because prior to me going to treatment, this household was ground zero constantly at battle, constantly always fighting, constantly this and that because of my addiction. Coming back, they got I got to show them, guess what? It finally clicked. You know what? Guess what? Your son is able to admit that he was wrong. You know, there were lots of things that got changed, you know. And then for my daughter, you know, for her, it's been almost as valuable of an experience, as horrible as it is for her to go through this and have to deal with a parent that had addiction, Luckily, she was young enough not to remember the bad parts. You know, she's gotten to see, hey, dad went to recovery, came back, and he came back a whole different daddy. Yeah. You know, my daddy can now tell me some days, you know, that 
he was wrong. My daddy doesn't raise his voice anymore. There's all kinds of different things that pay such dividends with her, you know, where even now it's helping guide her in, in her growth, you know, where she's having problems on the playground. Dad, I knew that was out of my power, she says to me. So I just had to walk away. What other little eight-year-old says that, you know, where <laughs> yeah. it's like, you know, that's the amazing thing of NA. You know, she sits in sometimes on my Zoom meetings. She knows everybody on the screen. She waves and says hi to them before she goes to bed. And just as much as that is for her being part of my recovery, knowing that that's what keeps Dad healthy, the other people that are on that screen, they sit there and share, oh, it's so awesome seeing her come say goodnight to us. You know, thanks for allowing that, Eric, you know. But for for me as a parent, I, I, I can't imagine what kind of a dysfunctional parent I would have been trying to be in active addiction compared to me being sober and healthy, you know. Yeah. The challenges that come up that normal people deal with with their kids. Now I have a different perspective on how to deal with it because of what my recovery has taught me. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna say this real quick, and I'm gonna shift into this gear. I've I've been to many 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 meetings before where it's strictly only AA, and then I've heard someone say, you know what? I went to a meeting once and I tried to say something about NA, and I got shut down. My feeling is this: that wherever you uh, feel comfortable at in your sobriety, cool. But I don't think, like for instance, I have you on. I'm an alcoholic. You went to NA meetings. For me, man, NAAA, it's underlying the meetings part. It's underlining listening to people share. It's underlining when t- people talk about the first time they take the steps. So regardless of what people say, what works for them, I only have to go to AA meetings. I only want to go to AA meetings. That's good for you. I don't, I don't shut anyone down when it comes to f- enforcing the AA or NA thing. It's addiction. Nope. It's under yeah, it's addiction. addiction. There you go. At the end of the day, an addict is an addict is an addict. It doesn't matter what your substance is or what your your choice is. You know, I had somebody one time, Bromo, explain this to me. He goes, "Hey, so if you like doing something over and over and over," he says, "and you know it's not healthy for you, are you an addict?" I was like, "I don't know. That one, <laughs> that's some fat to chew on." I says, "I'll get back to you on that one." <laughs> you know, but it was his way of pointing out that there is no difference between. You know, even as simple as smoking cigarettes and the nicotine addiction. Right. You know what? It affects the brain the same way. Sure. I mean, you and I have so many things in common and parallel. For instance, when I was in um, my world of drinking, I had to make sure my cooler was filled and I had to know for sure when I was going to start drinking. For you, you had to know when you were going to get your meth or when you were going to start using or when you were going to be able to keep that high going. It's the same thing. Yep. Same it's the thing. same thing. Okay, now, I, I'm going to say a couple things real quick, and I want you to tell me your instant thoughts, okay? Okay. Tell everybody your rewards of sobriety. Happiness, fulfillment, uh, going back to school, life. Living, living, life. Your, your daughter, for one thing, restoring that uh, is obvious. We've heard those thoughts from you earlier uh okay tell everybody what you're doing now you're going to school you're like yep. moments away from graduating what do you uh what do you go what are you gearing towards all right so i'm i'm in a two-year degree program at bsc right now for industrial automation and i will be graduating here in may and actually i'm thinking about i'm contemplating adding another year on to get another degree 
Fantastic. You know, uh, well, the, yep, the, the uh, life's the limit now. You can do anything you want. Yeah. The, the door of choices, you know, and that's one thing that was a, a big scary thing for me coming back from treatment. You know, you come back from treatment, I, I was like, yes, I'm clean and sober, but now what do I do? You know? But because of being sober, I didn't set my goals just to going out and getting a job, which is nothing wrong with that. I just thought, you know what? There's so much more I can achieve. Yeah. Why don't I do, why don't I try applying for some, some scholarships or this or that? Or, and all of a sudden, <laughs> excuse me, <clears throat> I look at, at the, the scholarship thing in here. Uh, you know, I was able to, to complete my schooling on full scholarships just because there's so many scholarships out there available. Yeah. You know, and then, you know, you look at it and you saw all of a sudden you're getting scholarships for your grades and you're going, no way. <laughs> and that's something. Way, way uh, to go, man. I was able to achieve that. <laughs> way to go. Um, okay. We're going to wrap this up pretty soon, but I wanted to ask you a couple more things. One, for the people that are listening, that are on the fence, man, they're wondering if if their drinking or their using is going to reach them to their bottom. They're wondering to themselves, like you had said it way earlier, I don't know how to stay sober. Um, what do you tell them as far as your experience? What is your advice? Oh, number one thing, uh, if, if you don't know how to stay sober, sober or stay healthy that that's your first acknowledgement that you've you've got a problem you know then the next step for for anyone would be you know reaching out to somebody that can help with that you know yeah uh, whether it not be a treatment facility a support system a 12-step program but it does take a lot of you know it takes a lot of cojones to turn around and say i got a problem and i need help with it you well, that's, know yeah that's when you break down your ego i think and here's the thing when you finally there's no shame in asking for help. I want people to know that there is no shame for asking for help. As a matter of fact, when you ask for help and you're on those steps out of that hell hole, that's the greatest feeling in the world when you, st- because obviously, you know this too, it takes a while before you realize, realize that this is going to be your new pattern of life. It's not like we don't have our temptations, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah like you said too, you know, like on that moment there too, bro. That was one of the biggest things, too, in early recovery, saying out loud, hey, my name is Eric. I'm a recovering addict. Absolutely. To be able to say that out loud and not feel shame for that. I'll bet, that you, was, I'll bet you a dollar when you say that now, you're proud of it, aren't you? Oh, yep, yep. I, 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 and that's like topic of conversation. When I, yeah. This semester we did the, the, the talking with the classroom, you know, everybody introducing themselves. It gets me, hi, my name is Eric. I'm 43 years old. I'm a recovering addict. Two years clean and sober. Nice to meet you all. Okay, I want to That's sum this. I, I, I want to mm-hmm. sum this up to everybody for the fact how much I was thrilled to write this article and talk to him on the phone and to have him on this podcast. But clearly, what he shows everyone is you can go through the worst times. You can go to jail. You can lose your family. You can have your family turn your back on you because of tough love. You can lose your daughter for a while. But when those mm-hmm. steps are there and you're starting to realize that and when you, and when when you realize for me Eric when I realized the obsession was lifted on me I didn't think about it is the greatest feeling in the world. Yeah. Yep, the obsession to need that drug or that fix when that was gone I was just like, "Huh." And I went, it was actually while I was at the treatment center, I went to one of the staff members. I said, hey, is it normal for me not to crave wanting to get high anymore? But I said, I got a whole bunch of other feelings. And she goes, she just looked at me and she smiled. She goes, 
all right, you know, have a good night. We'll talk about it tomorrow. Oh, yeah. But, uh, you know, yeah. it was just like, well, I had no clue, you know. That was the first time in my life where I didn't want to run out that door and go get high, you know. Yeah, good for you, man. I'm proud of you. And I know your family's proud of you, your daughter. Think about that, pal. You have a, a whole brand new life that you're living. Yeah, and I have to say on your on your part, too, uh, some of the people at my college, some of the people at my daughter's elementary school, friends and family that have read that article, they're like, wow. And I was like, you guys don't even realize how scary that was. That was me stepping out and sharing my recovery. But I know that, you know, some, I hope somewhere along the lines that reached somebody and they read it and they're like, oh, man, I've been through that. Well, do me a favor, if, if you don't mind, will you share this podcast? I'll send you a... Uh... I'll send you on your page the address people can go to click on to listen to this because I want others to listen to this because you are a prime example of what it is like to turn your life around. Remember, there's a reason why I called it There Is A Way Out because there is a way out. You know that. Tell me that, right? That is, There is definitely a way out. <laughs> there's a way out by becoming alert and listening and giving yourself another chance. I had a guy long time ago. And I hope he's still around, but this is a long time ago. And he was one of those old timers, man. And when he would come to the podium at Pathfinders and we're all tucked off to our sides, we all had to sit together on this certain part of the room and we all had to go to these meetings on Sundays. And this old timer would get up to the podium and not yell at us, not preach at us, not look down on us. And the first thing he would say is, give yourselves a break, fellas. You've been through hell. Give yourselves a break. And that's clearly what you did. You took a second, third, fourth, fifth chance in life. You gave yourself a break. Look where you are now, man. Yeah. Never, never would have dreamed it. Isn't that, tell never that. To, say that again to people. I never would have dreamed never, it. Never, never would have dreamed to, to be able to live happy, to be able to live clean and sober, to achieve any of this stuff. Uh-huh. You know? I'd, I'd chalked myself up in active addiction that, you know what, we'll be lucky if we make it to 45. Wow. You know, that that was, you know, my mindset in my addiction that my life was already over, you know. Yeah, it's not. And it's, 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 it's the journey is long and long and long. And with that, I am going to end this. Eric, you are a fascinating guy. Eric Benson, you rock, buddy. Thank you, Romo. Thank you, man. Hang on with me real quick. Don't go anywhere. I love it. That's why I have... This podcast, this is why these are my favorite stories, my shares from others, not just me. Eric said it best. You know, there is a way out for anyone who feels that you may have a problem or a neighbor or a loved one. There is a way out. My name is Brummel. Thanks for listening. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants. They all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.